welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 277 and the return from 2018 of percussionist, educator, and world-renowned Baron player, Kara Wildman. Well, at Mizzou, day one of classes is in the books. Technically day two, but we made it. I have the odd situation of teaching three separate classes of varying content areas in the same room in three straight hours. And this is 8 a.m., 9 a.m., and 10 a.m., Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So it's a bit new for me to come in hot, but that's what I got to do to be successful. I'm particularly excited to get the chance to teach the second semester of our music history sequence this year, though it is a large lecture course that meets Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8. No concerns at all, though. Let's get to it, and let's get to today's guest, Carol Wildman. Carol and I met during the podcast in 2018 when she was a guest for the 2018 PASIC preview show, and we did a full interview at that point. Now, this is episode 116, which you can catch through a link in the show notes to the homepage. At that point, Kara was just starting to put together her career as a Bauron player and was presenting a clinic at PASIC on the basics of Bauron playing and for her full-time career was teaching elementary school music. Well, this time in 2021, Kara was back to do a follow-up clinic at PASIC complete with her ensemble of players in a larger hall and putting together the next step for the beginning Bauron player, particularly related to how to apply your newly acquired knowledge to performance situations. And it went great. She really works well in interacting with an audience as a clinician, and the session ran over because people wanted to hear her and her group continue to play, which they did. So in an unusual format for this podcast, you'll get the original interview that she and I did in October, just prior to PASIC 2021. And then you'll hear a follow-up interview from earlier this week, where I have her talk about the clinic from her side after the fact, get you caught up on her comings and goings professionally now, and talk about the recent Christmas tour she just did that went all throughout the U.S. Plus, we'll get some bonus random ask questions to close. So let's get to it. We recorded these interviews on October 27th, 2021 and January 18th, 2022. And it begins right now. So, Kara, tell, tell me what you're doing, what you're presenting at PASIC, and also when and where you're doing that at PASIC. It's going to be one hour, and I'm talking about basically what to do um, once you have the basics of playing Bauron, like how to figure out what the heck you're supposed to play beyond that. Especially for me, coming from more of a classical sort of background, um, that was one of the biggest challenges for me to overcome in traditional music is we'd be sitting in a rehearsal trying to put something together and it's like what the heck am I supposed to do no one's no one's giving me anything or telling me what to play like how do I know what to do beyond just these basic patterns so that's kind of what I'm talking about is is this kind of like the the next step beyond the stuff you talked about three years ago in your presentation yes for sure so assuming that people already know how to hold the stick hold the drum what are the basic tune types what are some basic things you could play? How to sort of go beyond that? Because that's honestly one of the biggest questions I get when I'm teaching at festivals or things. 
it's like, okay, well, you know, I've got my real patterns that I like. Now, how do I get from point, point A to point B where it's really actually engaging with the tunes, but also this, the mis- different musicians that I'm playing with. Um, and if you add in, you know, playing with like another backer, like a guitar player, bazooki or piano, that adds a whole nother level of things you have to consider when you're trying to figure out what to play. Hopefully people will enjoy it. I'm bringing, um, Margaret is coming again this year, my fiddle player. And then Alan Murray is a great guitar player and bazooki player and singer. So he'll be joining us and have a special guest appearance by um, a friend in California, James Yoshizawa, is going to play some bones for a few sets, I think. What are some of the kind of typical styles or, or things that you have to kind of already know or be aware of when you're, if you're with, you know, other players? And I kind of like, if any of you are, are better at a, visual learners like reading helps you information process information better. I wrote an article for PAS that's kind of outlining what I'm going to talk about that just came out in this October's publication. So the first thing I do is try and figure out what kind of tune it is. So let's say, okay, I've listened to it and I know it's a reel. So that gives me my time signature and my basic patterns. The next thing I want to do is figure out how many parts are in this reel. Um, so let's say if it's a two part reel, I might use one pattern. Um, I'm, I call that my motor rhythm. So just like a, a basic groove that I mm-hmm. want to use for the A part of the tune. And then when it changes to the B part, I want to pick a different basic groove that I'm going to use. So that those would be the first main steps. What kind of tune, how many parts, and pick your basic patterns you're going to play. After that, I'm going to try and figure out what sort of makes each tune unique and special. Um, and some tunes might have like multiple things that to me really stick out like, oh, this is cool. There's an accent in this place, or maybe the melody has a interesting variation or there's a role or something like that. Um, and that may vary from person to person, you know, and depending on where you are in your journey and how much you've listened to other players and, um, you know, different things might stick out to different people. And that's, okay and not just okay but encouraged and acceptable and expected that different people are going to interpret tunes different ways so anyway just figuring out sort of what things stick out to you as a player that you want to kind of emphasize in the tune and then I'm going to use that basic pattern that I figured out before as my sort of home base but then try and pull things from the melody that stick out and try and emphasize those in the way that I think is best so that would be if I'm just playing with a melody player only. If we add in like a guitar player or something like that, then that adds a whole nother level of things you have to listen to. Um, I want to pay attention to like what their strum patterns are. So if they're doing something like, you know, really light and tasty, kind of high and tinkly, mm-hmm. then I'm obviously not going to be going all balls to the wall, jamming out, using lots of like something really aggressive, right? It's just, it's being a good musician and a good listener. Like what suits the music? Um, and I don't think that's going to be new to anyone at this convention It's just figuring out how to apply those same ideas in different ways. Um, so listening to their things like their strum patterns, um, I listen a lot to the harmonic rhythm on the guitar player or the, the other backers, you know, so if they're doing like a rundown with the chord change, chord, 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 I might try and pull that from them as well. So it's a lot going on at once. Um, and I'm just trying, I've, I've tried really hard to sort of make a, system that people can kind of break down in into smaller chunks and understand 
and realize that, you know, as this, as you do this more and more, like I very rarely, unless I'm doing like a recording session or some kind of gig where I need to play the same thing every single time, then I don't sit down anymore and, and do this step by step. This is just like a basic formula. I don't even, I don't like that word, a system to kind of help break down these ideas. And then the more you play, you can be able to do it on fly. When you are uh, playing with someone, whether they're uh, playing melody line, if they're playing chords, do you know right off the bat that it's one type of piece over another? Or do you have to, are they, are you waiting for some kind of cue from, from them? Yeah. You you know, pretty straight away, uh, depending on what, what the time signature is, what kind of tune it's going to be. It expands to the amount of players that you're playing with. Is it more, is it for you more fun? Like, cause you're getting more interaction or more rhythmic interaction from the other members. I think that really just kind of depends on the setting just because like, let's say for example, for if I'm going to a session in a pub, Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to play much differently there than I would at a gig or like a recording because, you know, in, in a pub setting or like a session, it's just for the fun, it's for the crack. You know, you're going to have all different kinds of players there of all different, all different points on their musical journeys. Mm-hmm. And the point is not to go into a setting like that and try and like show off all your crazy tricks or your skills or whatever. Um, and, and me specifically, you know, I want to make sure I'm given good time for everyone to kind of hold things together, depending on how spread out we are. And you know, if it's loud in the pub or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would play, um, you know, and especially again, and this is kind of goes into a bigger discussion about session etiquette and things like that, but if it's new players, like a new session that I've never been to before, I'm definitely just going to be pretty like straight ahead because you don't know what people like or what they don't like. Sure. And um, it's just sort of sort of respectful to kind of take it easy. Um, you know, and if I'm playing with people I know really, really well, like Margaret, who I've played with all the time, that gives me a little bit more free reign because I know um, her and I know how she plays. And I know that she's not going to like be offended or anything if I play a certain way um Mm -hmm. where you know if it's if it's something smaller like maybe a recording session obviously we would have planned that out more in advance and you'll probably have a lot more uh less spontaneity maybe there's still some of that but you want to have it planned out what you're going to do um in regards to variations and just making sure that I'm doing what's called for musically both with the melody players and if there's other backers because you're referring to how if you well for I mean for one if you're in a pub it's you're you're just providing music it's not they're not coming to watch you show off your Bauron skills it's like no no it's just it, for us to have some fun yeah yeah it's like other drum set or or jazz things where you're just like just give me two and four like the I saw yeah you. <laughs> exactly that's a great that's a great analogy yeah. Very similar to that, something like that. Yeah. Um, well, so what? Uh, take me through a little bit though. When you said uh, like etiquette for the for recording, if you're recording, then it sounds like okay, it's it's more planned. But you're, 
I guess the the more nuance is going to that's when you can actually show that, right? Yes. As far as like etiquette goes, I think I would I think there'd be more sort of unspoken rules as far as etiquette goes in a session than like a recording. Mm-hmm. Um I mean recording wise, you know, obviously you need to show up with your music learned. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh studio time is not cheap. And you don't want to show up and not have your stuff charted out or whatever. And again, I don't, I don't generally like chart things out unless it is a situation like that where we're recording and I know I need to play the same thing every time and I need to have it down, you know, down Mm -hmm. pat. Um, so I, I did some recording for a friend, uh, I don't know, maybe a year ago. And I actually charted out the whole thing just cause it was a, a jig with the hits were in like places, you wouldn't expect them. And I knew if I didn't have something, then I was going to screw it up and, you know, don't, don't want to be wasting his time and money by not having my stuff down. I would say that for like recording etiquette, but for a session etiquette, oh man, I should have brought notes on this. Cause this is a big, a big topic <laughs> um, okay. for session etiquette. I mean, it's kind of just a lot of it is common sense. Mm-hmm. And I, I was teaching a festival this weekend and I, we, I talked about this with my Baron class a lot because especially here in the U S and I don't know why sessions are so different here than they are in Ireland, but like I have had way more issues as a Baron player playing in the U S than, than I ever did in Ireland. And you kind of think it would be the other way around. So I don't know where that comes from, but just like to give you an example you know, there's all these sort of forums out there for Irish music. It's like the equivalent of drum corps planet, right? Sure. It's like, do you, do you really want to go on there? Or is that just going to be a bunch of garbage and people saying crap about drum lines and, you know, whatever couch, couch judges, armchair judges. Right. Right. Yep. So you go on these forums and it's like, Oh, well, if you go to a new session, you need to sit in the corner with your case and then, you know, someone will invite you over and then you can get out your drum and then you wait until they ask you to play. And then, you know, you need to play. It's just like these ridiculous things that, you know, it's like, who came up with these rules? And so I told my class, I was like, don't do that. If you go to a session, don't you freaking sit in the corner with your little brush tipper by yourself and like apologize for your existence. Like that is not acceptable, (laughs) you know? And it's just like, why, who is creating these arbitrary hoops for people to jump through? Um, So that being said, like I went to a session when I was in Ireland and uh, with some fantastic melody players, my friend invited me and I think the pub was called the diamond and Mm. it was Blackie O'Connell. Who's a fantastic piper and Siobhan O'Donnell. I mean, sorry, Siobhan Peoples, he's an amazing fiddle player. And, you know, I thought that's what I was supposed to do. So I'm like sitting there with my drum, not playing. Mm -hmm. And Siobhan actually pulled my friend aside and was like, what the heck is your friend doing? Like, she's here and she's not playing. Like it made them really uncomfortable. And I thought that's what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. And that was not what I was supposed to be doing. (laughs) Um, So all that being said, there seemed to be a lot of differences in the session scene between the U.S. and um, in Ireland, I think honestly, you know, as percussionists, we have to deal with that anyway. People sure. think, Oh, you play percussion. That's not a real instrument, you know? Right. And, and that's, there's just certain stereotypes. You have to have a thick enough skin to kind of overcome mm-hmm. and ignore the haters. Um, 
So, you know, all that being said, it's just common sense. If you're coming into a new session and you're a new person, like, no, you shouldn't be starting every set of tunes. The more established players who are there all the time yep. and, you know, well-respected in that community, they're the ones who need to make those calls, right? And don't play too loud. Make sure you're playing in time. There doesn't mm -hmm. need to be more than one bow round played at a time. Like, all these things are common sense yeah. that you think people would know, but I don't know why, why and when common sense you know, manners got turned into these sort of arbitrary things, hoops that you have to jump through. Anyway, sorry, that was kind of a long rant. I don't know if anyone actually wanted to hear about that, but I'm, I've been thinking about it all weekend after some of my students told me some of their experiences at their own home sessions. Yeah, no, I, that's, that's super fascinating because it's not a, I mean, it's just a different environment because like art, for instance, I would never have thought about, Okay, well, what happens if if I'm being invited to something uh, as a Bowerin player? Am I expecting someone else to be playing when I'm invited? Like, if, so that would be one thing I wouldn't know. You mean like, like another Bowerin player? Yes. Yeah, so are you expecting to run into another Bowerin player if you're being invited to something? Yeah, I mean, there might be another Bowerin player there. You don't really know. It's not. It's a lot of these sessions are open, so it's mm -hmm. kind of just who shows up from week to week. Yeah. Um, so if I get there and there's another bound player, like, especially if that's their local session, I'm going to defer to them, yeah. you know, and, but you'll still play, right. I'll still play, but like, it's, it's sort of common courtesy that you wouldn't have more than one person at once. I mean, that'd yeah. be like having two drum set players. It's like, well, who sets the groove and right. does this half of the room follow? You know, it just gets, it's too sloppy. You can't tell what's going on. It, it sort of depends if I'm going to a session and Sometimes they'll, you know, I'll just go up to him and say, Hey, what, what, how do you guys do it here? That's pretty normal. If it's, mm -hmm. you know, we're all in the same club, we know how it works in these sessions. And so to just go and be, Hey, like, you know, what's, what's the story at this session? And they'll tell you like, Oh, we trade tunes. So maybe mm -hmm. if it's a set of reels, they'll play the first one. And then they'll sort of give you a nod when they change tunes and say, yeah, like take it. Or yeah. it might be whole sets. So they might play the whole set of reels and then give you the next set, the jigs or whatever comes after that. So um, okay. that being said, you know, if there's, there's a couple of players here locally that I play with a lot and mm -hmm. we might have, we might both play at the session just because I know how, um, like a good friend of mine, Rob, he's actually the one who makes my drums and mm -hmm. we've done lots of gigs with two barons or sessions with two barons where both of us will play just because, um, you know, it's easier. I know, I know how he plays. He knows how I play we can sort of create something that's going to work nicely and not um, be distracting to anyone. So, but again, this is all, all just things you kind of have to, to, there's not really any hard, hard, fast rules. You kind of just have to feel it out when you get there and see, see what it's like. Right. Okay. okay. I, I, I think I understand versus going in with what you think is some type of pre-programmed etiquette you just, you basically just go in and be like, what's, how's this go? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I'll fit in. Just right. tell me, just tell me the, the deal. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, generally, you know, it's gen generally speaking, it's usually one at a time, but besides yeah. that, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of hard to advise people on this because you just don't really know until you get there what it's going to be like, which well, is maybe why. Maybe maybe why these sort of arbitrary rules were created in the first place, although they're not necessarily helpful. 
<laughs> right. Yes. Yes, that definitely is true. It definitely sounds like it's not helpful. You know, some of this, it sounds like, is when you are getting into a situation where you just might not know because you, you're saying common sense, but that common sense gets developed over a period of time where you're learning, right? Yeah, exactly. So I'm wondering if some of the common sense is your your development of it is directly from being in Ireland and maybe someone's is coming from the United States and they're playing in an Irish bar. Could that be some of the some of what's could be different? I think uh, a huge amount of my education did not happen in the classroom. Right. It was a majority of that was in the pubs. Yeah. And, you know, the more different people you play with, you know, not just learning the tunes, but learning um, the really sort of intricacies of the, the style and how someone could play this tune one way and someone else could play the same tune a totally different way. Right. And how do I back that? And how yeah. do I read these subtle cues from the other musicians, you know, that are going to let me know, oh, hey, I like what you're doing or I don't like what you're doing, you know, and I'm not going to say anything or I don't like what you're doing and I'm going to be very vocal about it. Right. Yeah. So, right. but I don't know. I mean, th and this kind of leads into a whole nother discussion and feel if, if I'm getting too sidetracked, feel free to cut me off at any time. But um, yeah. of just like what is tradition? And I'm actually, and I don't have the date for you. It's on um, Friday, I think. I'm speaking on the frame drum panel. And that's like oh. kind of the, the whole topic is honoring the tradition. Mm -hmm. And um, I think for me, like coming back to the U.S. after living abroad, I, I don't think I realized how differently we as Americans think of tradition versus Irish people. Um, because here tradition in my opinion is thought of as this sort of museum piece that needs to be preserved and never changes right you know if you think of like beethoven's ninth symphony you would never dream of going into the gig and saying oh well i don't like what he wrote there i'm going to redo it right? right that would yeah. never happen when i was in ireland and i hope i didn't tell this story on the last time i was on your podcast but it was three years was, ago it's fine <laughs> Go ahead. Knock it out. I was in a lecture with one of my professors and she, she said, George, just sort of offhand, like the worst thing anyone could say to you as a traditional musician is that you sound like someone else. And I was sitting there oh, just yeah. like shocked, like shocked. I don't think disturbed is too strong of a word to use. I mean, after coming from like college where you're doing drum set transcriptions and they were like, yeah, well, you missed this grace note and that's a crash symbol and not a ride symbol and you don't sound like Chad Sexton. So go back and do it again. Right. Yeah. And so for them to, for her to say that was shocking. And I actually emailed her and scheduled a meeting and she was shocked that I was shocked. She was like, well, I don't understand why this is such an issue for you. And, but it was like, you know, and anyway, she said, yeah, it's really important that you're sort of rooted in the tradition and you have respect for that mm -hmm. and you understand the people that came before you, but like you, it's up to you to take that information and put your own spin on it, make it your own, continue yeah. to push the tradition forward. Mm -hmm. And to have that sort of like freedom was terrifying, honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, just because you're so, I was so worried, like, I'm not Irish, I'm American. What am I even doing over here? Do I even have a, like a right to be playing this music? And now you're telling me 
Yeah. And you know what I mean? It was just, yeah. it was crazy. So I've, I've wondered, and I have not done any research on this or anything. It's just speculation, but I've wondered if that's why the session scene is so different in Ireland versus in the U S because people, people here, you know, and they, they were forced to leave their homelands for a lot right. of reasons, whether right. it was famine or war, or there was no work or whatever. And so, Religious you know, that reasons. is, religious reasons, whatever, like those cultural things are very precious and it's understandable that people would want to protect them. I don't know if that's why it's so different. It just, it is really different. (laughs) Um, so yeah, there you go. There's your random side note that you didn't ask for, but you got anyway. No, that's, no, that's (laughs) fascinating. You're showcasing how it's a a living tradition. Yes. And and that, and that's, I think where versus a, it, you know, it was in this box and we have to keep it in this box forever. This is the, this is the box. And it seems like in Ireland, it's like, no, it's just, it's part of life. And you're, uh, if you know it well enough, you're going to, your contribution is actually not, is actually like you, the way you play. That's right. you expanding the tradition. Right. Yeah, Totally. Not, not mim- I guess what they're saying is not, not mimicking someone else. Right. Uh, right. Totally. So I know I see that. I think that's a, I think that's a good analogy. Um, I, I'm, I would be fascinated to hear what other, other people think of this. This is not a kind of thing I, I think about much at all, honestly. In, in a lot no. Of, uh, yeah. But it makes sense if it's coming from another tradition. I mean, there's a lot of I think where I think I, I would I would have had some experience with this was just like when I've written steel band music. Mm-hmm. And and there's a little bit there's always like a part of how much of this is going to um, should this be like an honor of Calypso or Soka or, you know, large pan style traditions and how much of this is just a different ensemble that plays a different kind of music that I'm right. writing for. Right. Right. So yeah. uh, maybe that's it. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, I never thought about any of this until I went over there and yeah. realized, realized, I mean, I, I think that was very naive of me to, to assume that people thought the same way about music in every place in the world. Like no one thinks about anything in the same place, in the same way, you know? Right. Um, so why would it be, why would they think of music the same way? Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been really sort of eye opening. I mean, and something I'm still, geez, when, how long ago did I get back? It's been a, it's been a while since I've been back and I'm still, it's something I'm still thinking through and trying to figure out my place in all of it. And how do I, how do I be respectful of all those that came before me and still put my own stamp on things, you know? So yeah, a hard line to draw and I'm not sure anyone can do it for you, but. Right. That's really interesting. I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you, you, you went into the rant and just decided <laughs> to just go right for it. I think that was, that was nicely done. Oh, well, good. You know, it, it has been three years. And, and one of the things that uh, has happened in the last couple is that you've really, uh, I, I mean, you kind of have, have like really gone full in right on, on your own career as a Baron player, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm really starting to see, uh, a lot of the seeds that I've been planting since I got back are finally coming to fruition. I just wasn't expecting it to happen all at 
once and it kind of has. Yeah. So what did, what did that look like? Like the seeds, like the seed planting and then how you've, how it's kind of, as you say, like hit, you know, in, in one fell swoop, it seems like. I mean, this is going to sound silly, but I, the first thing I was talking to a friend about like, okay, I'm back. What do I do? And he was like, you need to start an Instagram. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like, really? I don't like social media. It's going to be another thing, but it's been like really helpful, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think that was honestly kind of the start of that was starting an Instagram and getting some videos up there, music page on Facebook and a YouTube channel and my website. So that was a big, um, a big part of it. Mm-hmm. was just making sure people had ways to find me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't feel like I've, I've gotten a lot of comments from people recently, like, Oh my goodness, you're so good at the marketing. And it's like, I, I don't know. That feels, makes me feel a little bit sort of schmoozy. Cause that was not ever my intention. It's just like, well, I need good content. It's right. not that, you know, I mean, people aren't going to just randomly call you and say, you know, Hey, once you do this gig, like they, they have to know who you are and they have to be able to find you. So making content, um, I knew there were a lot of festivals that I wanted to teach at. So, I mean, I was, I was hitting the the email game hard on mm-hmm. checking in with people and like, Hey, I really want to teach. I really want to teach. Oh, a new festival. Uh, do you have a Baron teacher yet? Maybe you should add second class. You know, I, I really don't like the term networking because I, I think it feels like really one-sided, like what's in it for me. Right. Um, you know, and, and I think there's a way to do it well where you can show that you're interested, but be genuine about it. And so I, I've really tried to just do that <laughs> and not be, not be kind of slimy schmoozy, but you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I am interested in this festival and just try and try and, um, I think you have to be genuine. People can tell if you're not. And yeah, I, I mean, I think musicians especially are not really into that, the fakeness um, or the, you know, being nice to get something. Okay. So, so part of where I was coming, where I was thinking about this is that I teach a, uh, this semester I'm teaching a music uh, career development for musicians class. That's new. At okay. And, and I've had a number of different people on who, who are in various forms of the music industry, pop and um, pop and classical both. And one of the things that, that it basically it, it seems to com- come down completely to building relationships. Exactly. Yes. And, and it's not, and, and that was one of the things that, that everyone has said is that it's not, you can't think of it as network. Like what you, I understood what you're like, what you were saying about it being like networking and schmoozing, but what you're actually doing is, is building relationships so that at some point, Maybe they'll think of you when they have an event. Right. And that's the seed building is you kind of getting that in and then kind of see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and just being, you know, a nice person that's yes. easy to work with and shows up on time and is prepared. Like, it's just, it's all these basic things that people tell you. And it's, it's like, people think there's this magic bullet of, right. oh, if I just if I have the perfect Instagram and I meet this person, like that's not how it works. You know, you just, right. you gotta, you, you have to do the work. You have to practice. You have to show up on time. You have to be easy to work with, be prepared. 
you know, it's all of those things. It's not just one of them. Um, right. So, so I, yeah, I don't know. I just, um, yeah, I guess that's the end of that thought. <laughs> yeah. well, but it's, did you feel at some point that you putting, creating all this content and updating and being active on social media and your website and all that stuff, did you get to a point where it felt like, okay, this is just part of what I have to do. If I, if I'm really going to, if I'm really going for this, these are just steps I have to do to, to be on that path. I mean, yeah, the whole social media thing I think started because you know, I, if I emailed a school or a festival and said like, Hey, I want to come teach or play. That was the first thing they asked for. Oh, do you have links to your website? Do you have any videos? Do you have any recordings? And then you're like, Oh, well crap. I don't have like, do I have anything? I'm like proud for people to see. Um, so, so that was like why that all started with doing the videos and stuff. Um, and then since then it's become something I really enjoy. And I've been doing a lot of collaborations with, you know, not just um, other Irish musicians, but like I found a, met a great frame drummer on, um, Instagram from Iran and we've done a couple of things together and yeah, it's, it's just been, it's been a lot of fun, um, to meet more people and make some new videos that, you know, are going to stretch me, stretch me as a musician in new ways. Mm-hmm. Um, with the added bonus that now I have more content for my social media. <laughs> yeah. Well, but um, it's great that it sounds like you are enjoying doing that. I mean, that's... I am. I am. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Maybe you feel like you're you're like not only enjoying it, but it sounds like you're, you have, you, you now have some standards that you want to keep up with doing it, right? I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying enough. my best. <laughs> yeah. 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 And because, I mean, obviously what, I mean, what I was realizing for you is that, you know, seeing some of the stuff that you were doing during the pandemic, when, when you had to make these connections solely across, um, you know, across the internet. Right. Um, you know, what, what kinds of things were you, did you kind of figure out as you were making all of that happen? Um, in regard, what do you mean? Well, in terms of knowing that you were that there was no chance that you could actually travel somewhere to play right. with someone, but you but that you you it was like we have to do this if we're, if I'm going to collaborate, I have to collaborate this way. Right. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I think some of it was just <laughs> survival mode. Sure. Uh, you know, like okay, I have got to like I know myself, if I get if I get too bored, I spiral real quick into getting depressed and um, like I need to be doing things. And so that was part of it. Um, another part of it was, you know, I'm still living out in Dorchester. I don't know if I was last time we talked, uh, my mm-hmm. hometown, yeah. which is more like a village. It's a, a ranching community. There's only yeah. 105 people that live there. So I was going from like gigging in Dallas three times a week, plus a session, plus teaching to like literally not leaving my house for weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, was really hard. (laughs) Um, so that was just sort of another way to keep in touch with people and to, to keep, you know, I was, I was worried. I was like, what is this going to be like? I mean, I think we all thought that it was kind of going to be a quick end to this whole pandemic and not just that it was going to drag 
on so long, but also that, that, uh, it was not going to be a clean ending. Like we're probably going to be dealing with this forever. Right. Yeah. So part of it was, I thought, you know, I got to keep playing. Like I can't quit. I can't just stop drumming for like eight months and then everything's going to open and I'm going to have like no chops and no endurance and whatever. Right. So that was part of it too, is just to keep, keep myself busy, keep myself, uh, occupied, keep playing, mm-hmm. try and not go crazy. <laughs> I've really enjoyed doing the virtual things. And besides like the videos, I've gotten to do a lot of, um, like clinics for universities and stuff, yeah. which has, I mean, the first one was kind of like a little bit of an experiment. Is this going to work? But they've, they've worked amazingly well. Um, in my opinion, I've really enjoyed them. It's been so much fun, you know, to get to meet people from places that I might not get to go to otherwise, whether that's, you know, um, Iran. Maybe they, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Iran or, you know, maybe like some schools on the East coast who they could pay you, but they can't pay for flight expenses and everything else. So to still be able to, to meet people from there and yeah, it's been, it's been really fun and I've really, really enjoyed it. Did, did you do anything to, with the pandemic, did you do anything to upgrade any kind of personal equipment to make for either like connections or just like a better camera? Or did you do anything like that to, you know, be better no, off? No, honestly, <laughs> I'm, um, I'm a, a little bit technology adverse, averse. <laughs> um, I had a flip phone until like, uh, January. So I'm finally, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm I finally upgraded to a smartphone and wow. my friend, my friends are like, we can send you pictures now. Kara. Thanks. <laughs> right. um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I just have, uh, my iPad and the camera on that is great. And then I have actually these headphones that we're talking right, right, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, no, like I, I just did a test run with a friend before my first one. And they were like, yeah, the sound is fantastic through the headphones. Like it's all really, really good. So I, I, uh, no, I have not upgraded my equipment and you would have laughed at me. I did a, a clinic for a school in Oregon. I think it was last week. And the way that my charging port is on the iPad, like I had to set it up on something so that it could charge and also be the right way for me to do the clinic. And Uh all I had was two sticks of Crisco. So that was my setup was the iPad sitting on the two sticks of Crisco so that I could have it charging while I was doing the clinic. So to answer your question, that that is my biggest technology upgrade this whole year is Crisco sticks. That's awesome. That, you know what, that is not in the book. I feel certain (laughs) that you have created that one out of thin air. Well done, Kara. And for for those of our listeners who are not from the South, Crisco is basically like lard you use to fry chicken or something. <laughs> yeah, that we bar- uh, that I, I'll be honest, I barely knew that it was still around. It was definitely something. What for real? Yeah, because I'm well, because I, like my I, I grew up with it, but at some point I think we just we moved on to something else or just butter. I don't know. <laughs> Well, next time you're in Texas, Pete, you'll have to come for a chicken fried steak. We'll hook you up. In in Crisco, in, in the lard. Cooked in Crisco, yes. Oh, okay. You don't, you, you don't sound convinced that this is going to be a worthwhile experience. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the chicken fried steak part, yes. The the Crisco part, I'm like, all right, I, gotta, I'm, I'll, I can work up to that. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, you just cook it in that. You don't, like, put any on top or anything. That would be gross. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Oh, that's funny. Crazy. What the last? So the last time you were on, your your primary gig was teaching elementary school. Is that right? Elementary music. Yes, yes, that was a yes. Yep, that was special. Yeah, <laughs> it ended badly. Not it not because of you. It did end badly. I was really excited about teaching elementary for a lot of reasons. One of mm-hmm. them being that. I was, um, I was good at it. I I was good at it, but I I also was hoping to, uh, get away from the marching band schedule a little bit. Um, it's pretty nuts here in Texas. And while I enjoyed that, I also enjoyed gigging and not being at the band hall 80 hours a week. Mm -hmm. Um, so I thought elementary would be a great, you know, still have the salary, health insurance, get to teach little kids music, you know, that sounds fun and inspiring. Mm -hmm. And, um, it just ended up being (laughs) really hard props to all the elementary music teachers out there because I could not do it. Um, yeah. I mean, it was a a big change anyway, but also I had like 700 students I was seeing a week. There are four PE teachers and one music teacher. So that was, um, very challenging. And then I ended up getting really sick. My classroom had water damage and flooded like four times. I mean, we're not talking like little drips from the ceiling. We're talking like puddles coming up through the floor and they had to come in and vacuum it up. And um, anyway, it ended up being really unfortunate and I got really sick and went on medical leave at the end of this, in the middle of the school year and never went back. So that, that was not, uh, not ideal. Yeah. Yes, it is not ideal. <laughs> good way. It's good. It's it's a it's a nice framing of that. <laughs> there's ideal, and then there's my situation, which is not ideal. <laughs> not ideal. Trying yeah. trying to uh, yeah yeah. It's not ideal. I'm glad I'm not uh, doing that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean, because the and I, if I remember correctly, you were being. Like, well, I don't know. Did they not believe you when you like, wasn't there like, they were like, no, you need to come back. And you're like, I'm actually like, really, this is really bad. I requested that my room be inspected. And I was told that my room was inspected. Uh, meanwhile, I'm getting sicker and sicker and sicker. So I ordered a um, test online from the EPA, which was mm-hmm. very expensive and ran the test myself in my room. And the test came back as like level red, the worst you can get. Do not inhabit this room until uh, it's fixed. And yeah. so at that point, I sent in um, my note from my physician um, <laughs> saying how sick I was and a copy of this report from the EPA and a letter from my lawyer through TMEA and never heard from anyone again after that. So that was kind of how that ended. I'm curious and I I don't want to I'm not trying to downplay what happened there but obviously the facility is not not even remotely good good enough but did you like the teaching part or was that or is that still even was did it just affect everything you were doing there you know honestly I don't know that I was even there long enough to get a really good feel for it because Mm. I mean coming from teaching high school band to elementary is a, a huge 
culture shock. No, that's not the right yeah. word, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. It's yeah. a big, a really big change. Yeah. And so uh, you, there were so many challenges about that year, just trying to adjust to that, but then also yeah. being sick and then, you know, having so many students. So I don't know that I really gave it a fair shot. Like I, I like teaching little kids, but I think for me, it's probably better um, on a one-to-one basis and something like lessons. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've always loved teaching lessons for the reason that, um, you know, you get, you get to form really close relationships with your students yeah. and especially, you know, if they like you and it's working out, I could get to teach them for 10 years before they go on and do something else. And so, yeah. um, I am, te- I like, that's always been close to my heart, the teaching side of things. It's not ever that I wanted to become this big performer and not teach anymore. Like it's right. really, really important to me that I do both. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'm still teaching a lot of lessons and that suits me way better than being in the school system mm-hmm. um, for a lot of reasons, you know, but I, you know, including because I get to set my own schedule mm-hmm. and if I, if I get a, a gig or something, it's totally reasonable for me to say like, okay, we need to shift lessons this week and then I can still do both. I can teach my lessons and do the gig or the festival or whatever. And um, yeah, it's taken me, it's taken me a little bit of time to figure out what's been best for me and what I like the best, but I, I feel like I'm finally, finally on the, on the right path. So that's a good feeling. Yeah, no, that's, that's wonderful. I'm happy for you. Thanks. Um, I, I, well, and I, cause I mean, the, the plan, as I think you were stating was that elementary school is very, is very difficult, but like there's typically a cap on when the, when the day's done, it's usually done. Right. Like, that was that was sort of the point. Like, oh, my nights right. will be free. I can now, I can now play a gig, uh, right, on a Tuesday night, and it is fine. <laughs> right. Well, and yeah, and I thought that's what the case was going to be, and that ended up not being the case. I mean, honestly, I was still, I was still at school eighty hours a week teaching elementary. You know, because it wasn't just the school day; it was the staff meetings. And if you're in elementary, like it's expected you do things like go to PTA meetings and. I had a choir that I taught uh, and the, you know, this, that, and the other, it just wasn't, it, it wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, so I'm much happier working for myself and I have a very big admiration for, for all the public school teachers who are still doing it. Cause it's a, uh, it's not an easy job and they don't often get the respect they deserve for it. So. Yeah. Shoot. We just had a marching band festival and this weekend that we hosted and I, I'm just, I don't know how all those folks do it <laughs> and we yeah. ran it and it was like an 18 hour day, but it's still just, it's not the same as what they're dealing with. <laughs> yeah. It's nuts. I'm going to kind of use it to my advantage that you're back on to talk about, to kind of, to, to fully talk about the kind of the experience. So I want to know, tell me about from your perspective, how the, um, how your PASIC presentation went. Yeah, I was really happy. Um, it seemed like we had a really great crowd. And, um, you know, especially for, I think it was 9 a.m. on Saturday. That's kind of a, a big ask the last day of a convention. Um, so I'd like to get numbers because I don't know how many people are actually there. But it seems like a pretty good crowd to me. I'm going to guess about 250 or 300. You know, you kind of expect, I think to me, this is one of the most impressive parts. You know, you're only supposed to go to like 10 till the hour. And, you know, a a little bit before that, you usually see people start to trickle out to get to their next 
Lex little presentation or a meeting or whatever. And I went uh, till 12 past and like hardly anybody left. So um, that was pretty great. And um, lots of people wanted to come chat afterwards, which it's always fun to get to talk to people, you know, not just see their faces from far away. So that was really cool. Um, And then we played a a session that night at the Golden Ace, which is a pub in Indy. And I just mentioned on stage, said, hey, we're playing the session tonight. You know, I'd love to see you there if anyone wants to come. Um, not really knowing if anyone would be interested or not, but we got there and there was about, I don't know, probably 20 people from the convention who came to the session. So that was really cool. It's really great to, to see everybody get excited about it. And then I was happy they got to, you know, some people got to come to the pub and see see the, the uh, animal in the wild, so to speak. So... <laughs> the animal in the wild. <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's good. I'm not. I'm not. Interesting use of the phrase, I guess. I mean, I I thought it was a really really great session, and you know, it, thanks. I, I think, thanks for being there. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I because I, I did I saw this when you did it the first time a couple right. of years earlier that you 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 have a focus on interactiveness. Which I think, which I feel like everyone should, but yours was like legit. You would sit there and go, okay, what do you see on this? And you wait. <laughs> you wait for the hands. Or then you you would call the ringers. You had a few people who you were like, I know it was like, I don't, like, don't respond. Or something like that. Because <laughs> I think you had just done a clinic with with another group that, and they were there. And you're like, okay, don't, don't cheat. Oh yeah. Well, some of them, some of the people who'd already been there before I knew they would know the answer. And then there were a couple others who just bow around players. I knew in the audience, I was like, you guys already know this. Like, don't get, let somebody else answer, but yeah, well, thanks for, thanks for saying all that. It doesn't, I don't know. I don't like ever just sitting there and being, you know, talked at. So maybe it's my, uh, Ed background. I don't know, but, um, I'm glad it came across all right. Yeah. Well, and, and I also think it, uh, it helped because we, I think we, I believe we knew you were going to dance. And that was the other thing is that you were that, that portion, I think that happened at like five to 10 or something. <laughs> like it was, We were running over already and then you did the dance and then it was like, Hey, you want me to play key plan? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I, I was expecting people were, we're going to leave if they had to, but I'm glad, I'm glad people stayed too. So it was yeah. good. Good times were had by hopefully all, at least yeah. by me. <laughs> when you, with the group that you had, cause you had, what was the guitarist? Someone you had not played with? Um, Alan, Alan and I had played together once, like six years previously. Um, we both taught at the authority Irish music retreat. I don't remember what year. And we're on the, um, they do instructor concerts every night. And it's just kind of like they seat you with, you don't, you don't really know who you're going to play with until you get there. So Alan and I played that concert together. I think it was six years ago. Um, and then, and then until then we hadn't played till I guess the night before the presentation. So Alan got in around seven o'clock or something. So we all went and had dinner and started rehearsal about nine. <laughs> The next morning, we're we're off to the races, and then well, you know, Margaret, Margaret yeah, where, and I played together a ton. So, where did you actually rehearse? Um, I got an Airbnb for the four of us, so oh, we nice. just practiced there. 
yeah, I figured, um, well, it's a little bit cheaper than the hotel, but I also figured people, people who are staying at the hotel aren't going to want to hear us practicing probably. So, or they're going to wonder why there's no alcohol in the place that you're practicing. (laughs) Or maybe that too. (laughs) Could be, could be one of the things. So yeah. Yeah. Again, I thought it went great. I'm glad that you had a crowd at, um, you know, in the wild, as you like to say, um, <laughs> when I, I'm curious though, when, when you do go to like, for, for example, for that, when you knew that you could get everyone there, did you, did you kind of call around and say, cause is the, I don't even know that I've, I think I've been to the golden Ace. Is that a Irish place or is it just a place? Yeah, it's an Irish pub. It's actually, I think the oldest one in Indianapolis. Sorry. What was your question? So, what were you asking? So, so now that I know that, had you called around to say, we're here and we do this and oh, we're free to no, like, no, how does Margaret, that part happen? Well, Margaret and I have some really great um, Irish music friends who live in, in Indianapolis. And I, I think we met him at a festival in maybe St. Louis, but we've all, we've kept in touch and anytime we're going to be in town, we just call and say, hey, we're going to be in town. And Dimitri, um, our friend, he plays the flute um, and he set up the whole session for us. So he's, he plays there pretty regularly. And um, I guess just maybe called the owners and said, hey, we're going to come have a session and invited some people. And so all we had to do was roll up and, and get some drinks. And that was it. So it was great. Really, really, really nice session. And just so nice to be out playing again after not for so long. Yeah. I mean, doing gigs and, you know, presentations and stuff for fun, but it's really special to just be able to sit in a pub and just play tunes with your friends and catch up. And, you know, after not having done that for two years, basically, and then having not seen them for so long, it was really, really a lot of fun and extra special that so many percussion friends came out to, to hang too. So it was awesome. How far in advance had the tour that you ended up doing after that, what, when was that being planned? Um, I'm not sure when that was being planned. I got the call, I think, on a Sunday to come out on Wednesday. <laughs> oh. Nice. Um, so, obviously, things have been crazy, crazy with COVID and people getting travel visas and venues canceling or not canceling and waffling back and forth. So, the fiddle player that called me, his name is Oshin McDermott. He's a fantastic fiddle player from Sligo. And they've been doing this Christmas show for, I think, 16 years. And um, his wife, Samantha Harvey, is a fantastic piano player and dancer. And they have a two-year-old, so she couldn't be um, on the road for the whole show this year. So I think she did maybe the first week and a half or two weeks. And then Oshin called me and said, hey... Sorry, this is last minute, but, you know, they were waiting on their travel visas and stuff. They didn't know either. So, yeah, I actually was teaching another festival in North Carolina. So I couldn't I couldn't get out there until Sunday. So I flew from Atlanta to Chicago and got in at 7.58 for an 8 p.m. show. <laughs> so it was great. So how many, how many performances did you do? Um, I think I was on the road for 13 of them. Was it what three weeks? Um, I got back on December twenty third, so I left. I left home on the first and taught for like four days in North Carolina, and then was on the tour with them basically through the twenty second, 
And then there was a couple days I had already booked another show in Minnesota. So I was gone for like three days for that and then back on the tour and, and then home. So it was a crazy whirlwind month, but again, just so great to be out playing, playing for people and literally could not have asked for better musicians, nicer people. Alan was doing the Christmas tour too. The guy who played guitar for me at PASIC. So great to see him again so soon. I wasn't expecting that, that quick of a reunion, but it was nice that we got to play together again that quickly. This is a kind of a set thing, this Christmas show. Like a, so what, what is, what does that mean? What, what, what is, what is a set thing for what you do for a Christmas show? The material changes every year. They don't do the same thing, but the show itself has been running for 16 years, I think with generally the same group of people. And then, you know, if they need someone to hop off or hop on, then, then they're flexible there. This year, the show was kind of about just sort of different um, traditions in Ireland, Christmas traditions. And then they bring in music to kind of go with that. Um, so, you know, we play different tune, like there's a reel called Christmas Eve that everyone knows. So we, we play that. doesn't sound, you know, particularly Christmassy. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say, but, um, not enough sleigh but bells in it. no sleigh bells in it. Oh, okay. I should think I should remember that for next time. So, you know, and then just some different songs and we did do a few sort of classic Christmas carols like silent Night" and most wonderful time of the year, things like that. Um, so it was a really nice, uh, variety and good mix. Just talking about the different, um, Christmas traditions that they celebrate in Ireland that we maybe don't celebrate here. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. So are you, are you just playing at pubs or are you playing in like small theaters? Where, where does this, where do you end up? Yeah, mostly they were all, all theaters of different sizes. So generally they'd hold about 300, but I think the biggest one we played in held 3000. It's really nice and, you know, great to have people running sound for you and, setting everything up and that's always nice to not have to do that yourself <laughs> so yeah really great enjoyable good places we got some days off in nice places we had one in nashville and got to go see some great country music at uh, robert's western world if there's any western swing fans that are listening um it was great there some really good dancers too and then we had a day off in New York City, which I've always wanted to visit New York City around Christmas time. So that was just so special to see all the lights. And we walked across the Brooklyn Bridge and got some nice pizza. Um, Where and then was the we pizza had a, from? Do you remember? Oh, don't ask me the name of the place. I don't remember. <laughs> I can go back through my credit card statements and let you know later. But um, <laughs> oh, it, was, it was really good. And you see the tree, Rockefeller Center. Didn't see that one. I saw another really pretty tree that I got a picture of, but not not the tree. And I got a, a bagel the next morning. I, we had the morning off, so I went and got a bagel and figured you can't be in New York and not get a bagel. That's true. So yeah. It was great. Just really, really awesome. I had the best time. <laughs> Do you get any seafood there? Are you a seafood person? I'm allergic to shellfish. Um. So I usually stay away. Some of it's okay. I had salmon on this tour for the first time and I've never, I don't know that I ever had salmon or maybe I just didn't like how it was cooked or something, but one of the venues gave us, they provided dinner for us and it was salmon and it was so, it was really good. So 
I'd, I'd eat that again. <laughs> okay. Hey. Was it, I'm curious, was it, what was the day? I mean, weather-wise, was it manageable? In New York? Yeah. It was. I'm actually, only going to ask you about the New York portion, Kara. Come <laughs> on now. No, it was really, it was much warmer than I thought it was going to be. I mean, I think in the, in the evening it got to, I don't know that it got below the, below freezing. Um, so mid thirties maybe, which is not bad at all, especially if the wind's not blowing. So in the next morning I went for a little walk and just took my jacket. I didn't even need my coat. So uh, unseasonally be warm, I guess for, for December in New York. No, it sounds like, I mean, that's, you got to walk, like, did, could you, how was your pace, walking pace? Was it, could you keep up with, or were you just getting passed left and right by? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a pretty fast walker, so. Okay. So you fit right in. <laughs> yeah, I like to, I like to get places. I'm not, a, I'm not much of a mosier. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, it was, it was cold enough. And then once you got moving though, it wasn't, it wasn't bad at all. So I had my hat and my gloves and. It was, it was good, but I also like the cold weather. I don't know if that's just because, you know, we have like nine months of 90 plus in Texas that I'm like, Oh, thank God. Somewhere where it's not hot, it's refreshing mm-hmm. or something, but I don't, I don't mind the cold. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Even though probably that wasn't too cold by New York standards. I mean, is December a super busy, um, in terms of finishing out like your teaching schedule or is it? Like, is, are things finishing up and it, and it kind of dies down for a bit? I mean, my in-school lessons, like, I think most of them, they're getting close to their all-region auditions. Uh, we don't do solo contests or anything until the spring. And then, you know, the last week of before break, I don't usually teach anyway, just because there's class parties and field trips and this concert and that concert or whatever. So um, I think all in all, I only had one additional week that I missed that I was, you know, not planning on that. I was planning on, on teaching. Um, but I got someone to cover those lessons for me. And then when I was in Minnesota, I had a little bit of time off. So I taught a couple virtual ones for the people that wanted them. So, yeah. Where did you end up going? Where were all the States and cities and stuff? So I was in Brown, North Carolina for, I taught at the John C. Campbell folk school for three or four days. Um, and then I went from there straight to the Christmas tour. So we had, let's see, we were in Chicago, Michigan, uh, Georgia, Tennessee, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania. And then I hopped off the Christmas tour and went to Minnesota for three or four days to do a different Christmas show I'd already committed to, Utah and California. And then that was it. Went home after that kind of all over the place. I got, um, I have a, have you seen those scratch maps? Do you know what that is? Is that to, to tell you how, um, how many States you've been to? Yeah. It looks like a lotto ticket and then you can get a coin and scratch off the places you've been. So I got to scratch off like five more States off my map after this tour. I was about to say, it was was pretty great. Was that the first time you were in, um, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts? Not Massachusetts. I think we were there when I was doing drum corps. I think we did a parade there on 4th of July. But yeah, that was my first time in Vermont and New Hampshire. And Utah, actually. Nice. So how many are left? 
Um, I think I've got 11. The Dakotas, Montana, Alaska, Hawaii, Maine. That's a, I can't remember the rest of them, but yeah, I need to get on that. Yeah. Mississippi. Have you been there yet? Yep. Did that in drum Corps 06. <laughs> How about Delaware? I think I've, yeah. That was a yes. You have? Yes. Yeah, I have. All right, so I've I've decided I have a few. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some random ass questions. Some other ones, okay. <laughs> so th- th- throw some different ones up here. Uh, so we'll so one is, let's say you were heading back to Ireland, which I'm sure you're you're ready to do. Um, yes, tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow, what would be the first thing that you? Where would be the first place you'd go to get something to eat? And like, you would like not talk to anybody. You wouldn't see anybody. You're like, this food needs to be in my mouth immediately. (laughs) What what would that be? You know, I know Irish food gets a bad rap and I don't know why, because I love it. Maybe this is just being a country girl who loves meat and potatoes. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that's what it is. I love, I love just going to the pub and getting like a a Sunday roast. Right. And I Mm -hmm. love that you can get um, whatever, like roast beef. And then they, I feel like you always get like two multiple kinds of potatoes. It'd be mm-hmm. like mashed potatoes and chips or yeah. toasties or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that sounds amazing. Or, you know, with a, a big old, big old pint of Guinness would be fabulous right now. Yeah. Um, or the curry, they actually do really nice curries in the pub and I, I love yellow curry. Really? Yes. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah, it, I'm not. It, I'm not sure where that came from, but any pub you go to, you can get a, a curry, like in like an Indian style curry. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, or a big thing there is they call them chippers, chippies. So late at night after you know the pubs close, and you can go out in these little like street street vendors or mm-hmm. little shops, and they'll give you um, chips, uh, French mm-hmm. fries with a curry sauce on top, and wow. it's amazing <laughs> yeah that, no, that the, just once just what you want after a night of pints with your friends there's some curry chips <laughs> well you it need hits to, the, the spot hits the, the spot every time <laughs> i mean you, you need the carbs to come back into your system right you just need to that's get it, it in immediately that's it <laughs> One got it. nice can you now can you get the roast um uh you know can you get that surround just like encased in potatoes and cooked that way um i never asked so (laughs) (laughs) usually the potatoes are on the side okay (laughs) that makes sense um yeah i i mean i love yeah i love the pub food so this could be pub related too what is your go-to karaoke song (laughs) i've never done karaoke oh so I don't know if I had to guess though, like make a guess, I mm-hmm. probably would say party in the USA, Miley Cyrus. <laughs> That's a, that is an enormously catchy tune. Um, Pretty great. Yeah. It's my, definitely my guilty pleasure song that I don't feel guilty about. at all. <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs> good. I'm, I'm happy to hear that because <laughs> it's not, Cause yeah, I get annoyed by that term. I'm like, I'm not, I don't feel guilty at all. If I like this. No, no, <laughs> no, no shame here. Love Miley Cyrus. <laughs> That's right. 
Yeah. She's really talented. Seriously. Yeah, like, she is. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. All right. What is a favorite book? I really like a lot of the books that have kind of stuck with me through the years are ones I read in my childhood, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if that's normal or not. But um, one of my favorite authors is named Robin McKinley. And she kind of does like rewrites of fairy tales, but in this really sort of unique and beautiful way. And anyone, she, she has a, little i think it's just two books the hero and the crown and the blue sword and it's set in this fantasy land and it's this girl who you know rides around on horses and fights dragons and stuff so i (laughs) um not sure how you know intellectually stimulating your your listeners will find it but it's Mm -hmm. kind of like a the the literary version of comfort food maybe yeah <clears throat> that's all right it doesn't again this is like the guilty pleasure thing like yeah it brings you joy yeah you, it's easy to watch the news and things like that and kind of get depressed and i just don't you know in my in my regular life i don't want more of that i want i want things that are light and not gonna send me into a, a depression <laughs> by reading sure. about them you know i i need i like a little bit of escapism literacy i guess yeah, no, we, I think we all do in some way just to, just to not want to, you know, stick your head in an oven basically. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Is that Sylvia Plath? I think Is she the one who's, who tried to kill herself. In the I oven? think so. I thought, well, so was, I think that was her, but who was, didn't someone like walk into the ocean or walk into a, maybe, the, maybe that was Sylvia Plath. No, I no, think Plath so- is the, is the oven. Um, Who's the other one? It was another lady. I know who you're talking about, but I can't the, think of her who name. Wrote Mrs. Dow Virginia Wolf. Did she walk into the uh, like? I think I think so. Okay. I hope my English teacher isn't listening to this right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's hilarious. Uh, is is the because you're just out Dorchester is just outside of the Dallas Fort Worth area, right? Yes, about an hour north. Okay. Is, is it like cowboys are, are the great greatest again? Are we back on that locally? <laughs> are we, we at the cowboy fever part of the year? You mean like uh, the sports team or actual cowboys? Yes, the cowboys? sports team. Yes. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't like football. So oh. I know that makes me not Texan and not American, <laughs> but like literally I was the worst. I was the worst band member ever when I was at college. I think I can say this now because I've graduated, but – yeah. I literally would take my theory homework because I was in the front ensemble. I didn't have to play in the stands. So mm-hmm. I would lay down under the quads and do my homework during the entire football game. I didn't <laughs> wash any of it. <laughs> wow. I know it's really bad, but then I got home. I didn't have to do homework, which was great. <laughs> yeah. You're like, how else am I going to spend the next four hours? <laughs> right. I don't, I mean, should I know the rules after, you know, my entire life of Friday nights at football games? Yes. Do I? No. <laughs> <laughs> so now, th- now this explains more about you just going to Ireland for so long. Or you're just like, well, I'm not missing anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. There you go. There, there it is. Um, yep. Now, gonna, get you... some ha- gonna get some hate mail for that one. <laughs> 
Have you ever binge watched anything? Yes, I binge wa- binge watched Game of Thrones. Mm. And that I binge like watched. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was over a. That's when I was still living in Ireland, actually, and it was oh. over um, summer summer holidays. So I mm. wasn't really doing. I was going into practice for my recital, but that was it. I wasn't working or anything else. So go practice for a few hours and then come back and binge watch some shows. And then I've also binge watched to get back on our happy, uh, happy shows, uh, Heartland, which I'm sure some of y'all are going to think is super ultra cheesy. It is ultra cheesy, but I love it anyway. It's about this, um, girl in Canada on a horse ranch and she kind of like, it's kind of like horse whisperer, whatever these people Mm -hmm. bring her, their problem animals. And she, fixes them but you know it talks about all the the relationships with the people and the family and anyway it's very very heartwarming and i um really like it so i've binge watched that too Mm, that is specific yeah i don't even i think a friend told me about it i don't know that i would have stumbled upon that randomly but yeah um i enjoyed it not too heavy and you know Again, with the, the, the escapism media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's one. I don't know if I've asked this. Have you ever laughed so hard that you either uh, fell over or fell down, fell off a chair? <laughs> um, I have. That was not headed where I thought it was headed, so I'm glad it ended up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was Do you remember why? Uh, I don't remember why. That's not. I thought you were going to ask if I'd ever laughed so hard that I peed on myself. I was like, Pete, that's oh. kind of personal. <laughs> But yes, I've definitely fallen out of my chair before. I don't remember where. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's that's, that's, all, that's all right. Your one piece of art oh. impacted you the most recently. Recently. So we had, when we were in Athens, Georgia, on the Christmas tour, I've been really into sort of, I'm collecting photographs of different street art or like art in public places, airports or things like that. And so there's this really amazing mural that I saw in Athens, Georgia. And I looked it up to see who the artist was. His name's David Hale. And the painting is downtown Athens and he called it hope. And it's um, really bright and colorful and beautiful. I'm sure you can find uh, photos online or it's on my Instagram I have like a, that place where you can save your stories. It's on a section there called street art. If anybody wants to go look at it. So the mural is 24 swallows like the bird and they're all carrying branches toward a 25th swallow and it's golden nest. And the mural is called hope. And he just painted it and it talks about, you know, having hope during the past couple of years of the pandemic. And so I guess um, historically, swallows were like a, a good omen for sailors when they're out at sea because it meant they were getting close to land if they saw swallows. So anyway, it's really beautiful, and you should check it out online if you haven't seen it. It's in downtown, you said? Yeah, Athens, Georgia. On the building walls of the Rook and Pond. Yes. Okay. Always a pleasure getting the chat with Kara. 
I wish her continued success in her teaching and performing endeavors, and it's always enjoyable to hear her good cheer and positive attitude. Congrats, Kara. This week's rave is the 2021 film Queen Bees, starring Ellen Burstyn, Jane Curtin, Loretta Devine, Anne-Margaret, and James Caan, and directed by Michael Lembeck. The plot is essentially this. Ellen Burstyn plays a recently widowed woman living by herself who is being pushed, both lightly and heavily, by her daughter, played by Elizabeth Mitchell, into considering assisted living after some incidents of forgetfulness. The last straw happens when she locks herself out of the house while cooking, and her home, while it doesn't burn all the way down, is essentially unlivable for a couple of months. Burstyn moves into an assisted living facility where she comes into contact with Curtin, Divine, and Anne Margaret as the queen bees in the facility, along with many other older actors, including Christopher Lloyd, and eventually befriends them while also finding love with another widower played by James Caan. That's pretty much it. Three things allow me to recommend this film. One, all of the actors play up their strengths. Ellen Burstyn carries the film like she used to carry films back in the 70s. Jane Curtin is great as the most acerbic, cutting member of the group, reminding folks of her heyday in the 70s and 80s. Loretta Devine plays both laid-back and forceful in equal measure, and she hasn't lost a step. Anne Margaret gets to vamp it up like she used to back in the 60s and 70s, and James Caan plays a toned-down version of some of his more confident and accessible roles. Two, the film is frequently very funny. There's a lot of barbs that go around to everyone, and everyone seems to be in fine form. And three, most importantly, You don't often get to see films that feature a set that are this age who all appear to be in great shape and spirits and focus solely on them. Loretta Devine and Jane Curtin are in their 70s. Anne-Margaret, James Caan, and Christopher Lloyd are in their 80s. And Ellen Burstyn will turn 90 later this year. It's great work on a film that is particular to that demographic and gives great roles to these folks. One more note. The film credits close with still photographs of couples of all races celebrating new love and new marriage in their lives past the age of 70. It's a really sweet way to end this pleasant, lovely film. Check out Queen Bees, now streaming. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete'sPerkPod at gmail.com. And I will catch you next time as this concludes the interviews that originated from the PASIC 2021 folks who are presenting there. So next week, we'll start with brand new interviews all from 2022. Until then.